Do you realize that we have a little over 400 kids in this congregation? That's amazing, isn't it? And I believe that all of us have a responsibility to be committed to our young people. Amen? We have a responsibility to be committed to support and to, to help be a part of their teaching and their training, to help bring up the next generation of disciples of Jesus, that that happens in the home and it also happens in this community, in this family that is the church, that we have this responsibility to help them to grow up, to grow up not only to grow taller and stronger and to go out and get good jobs and be good productive citizens, but to to follow Jesus. And we all have a role in that. And so with that in mind, I, I want you, I want to read you something that, that I find kind of concerning, not only about young people in general, but, but just about our culture. David Kinneman, who is the president of Barna Research Group, and if you don't know Barna Research Group, they do a lot of research and statistics about religious thinking and, and the way Americans are thinking today. But David Kinneman said that the new moral code based on a 2015 study, the new moral code in our culture is the morality of self-fulfillment. That a lot of Americans, and especially a lot of younger Americans, feel like the highest good, listen to this, the highest good is finding yourself and, quote, doing what's right for you. 74% of millennials, which I am one, um, 74% of millennials agree strongly or somewhat with the statement, whatever is right for you, whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. Listen to that again. 74% of millennials responded that they agree with this statement that whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. And it's not just young people. I mean, we can see this everywhere, can't we? We can hear it proclaimed from pulpits. We, we are inspired by it and entertained by it in books, on movies, in television shows. It is the theme of nearly every movie we watch. Find yourself. Follow your dreams. Do what's right for you. And almost all of us, we've all, not, not just young people, but all of us have not only believed that doctrine, and that's what it is, isn't it? We don't call it that, but it is. It's a doctrine. This doctrine of self-fulfillment, of finding yourself and looking inside yourself for your own truth and following your truth and doing what you feel like will make you happy. All of us. All of us at one point or another in our lives, we've believed that and accepted that and followed that, haven't we? This is nothing new. This is the human condition. And we thought, you know, listen, if I just do this thing, it'll make me happy. I know other people say this is wrong. I know other people judge me for this. I know my parents don't like me doing this. But if I just have this thing that I want, if I just follow this dream then I'll be happy, and I need to look out for me, and I need to do what fulfills me. I need to follow my own truth. And let me ask, what are the results of that? What happens on a national level when a nation only does what's right for themselves? 
What happens on a family level? What happens on a family level when individuals only do what's right for themselves? What happens when a parent says, it's time for me to follow my own truth? It's time for me to do what is fulfilling to me. It's time for me to do what makes me happy. What happens when that happens in a marriage? What happens when one spouse says, it's time for me to follow my own truth, or do what is fulfilling to me, and do what makes me happy? I'm tired of living for everybody else's truth, or doing what fulfills everybody else. I'm going to fulfill myself, and I'm going to follow my dreams and my aspirations and follow my truth. You already know what happens, don't you? Because you've experienced it. And I've experienced it, and, and humanity has experienced it. Yet we still allow this doctrine to be preached in movies and television and books and from pulpits, and we accept it and we believe it. That it's about looking inside and finding your own truth and following your own dreams. We already know the results of that, don't we? We know what happens. Because doing what makes you happy, following your truth, often comes at the expense of somebody else's happiness, doesn't it? That's what happens. Doing what makes you happy sometimes and very often comes at the expense of somebody else's happiness. So when those two things conflict, when you following your truth and you doing what fulfills you and makes you happy comes at the expense of somebody else's truth or somebody else's happiness, who wins? What do you do? And here's another thing that often ends up happening is you, you think that you know what's true. You think you know what's good. You think you know what you want. And, and the doctrine makes it sound like it's so clear, right? I mean, my, my truth, my fulfillment, my happiness, if I could just have that. But I don't know about you, but I'm a mess. How about you? I mean, sometimes I want things that conflict with each other. Some days I want to be healthy and, and in shape and skinny. And other days I just want to eat all the ice cream I can get my hands on. Which one is my truth? Right? I can't have it both ways. But, but here's the thing. Sometimes we, we think we know what we want and we, we know what's true and we know what's good. And then we get it. And maybe it makes us happy for a while. But then in the long run it doesn't fulfill us and satisfy us like we thought it would. You've seen it, haven't you? You've seen it in marriages where one spouse or the other will decide, I need to follow my own truth. I need to do what makes me happy. I need to fulfill myself. And they'll leave the marriage and abandon their spouse and maybe even their kids. And they'll find someone else and they think, I'll find fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in this other person. And maybe it does for a while. You see, the truth is, we don't know in and of ourselves what is true. We don't know in and of ourselves and by looking inside what is good. I mean, this goes all the way back to the garden, doesn't it? God says, listen, here's one rule. Don't eat the fruit. And she looks at the fruit and says, yeah, but it's good. And it'll make me wise. And it'll taste good. And it'll feel good. And I'll be better. And she took it and she gave it to her husband. And there was shame, and there was separation, and there was pain, and eventually there was death. That's the consequences. And listen, we're going to look at the book of Titus. So if you got your Bible, open to the book of Titus. Now, in, in Titus's world, Titus was 
living and preaching and ministering on the island of Crete. Paul had left him there, kind of between Paul's uh, first and second Roman imprisonment, probably. And he traveled around and he left Titus on the island of Crete and left him there to preach the gospel. And they were preaching false doctrine there, too. Just like in every culture, in every part of the world, at all time, there's false doctrine that's easy to accept and easy to believe and easy to pattern your life after. And there was false doctrine. It's probably a little bit different than the false doctrine that we hear in movies and TV and books, but the results were the same. The results were the same, self-indulgence. And so there were these false teachers there, and Paul sent Titus there to kind of set things in order in these different churches and set people straight and teach the truth and help make sure that there were shepherds in every congregation that would help to teach the truth. He he said some strong things in the first chapter about the Cretans, the people living in Crete. He said that they had a reputation of being liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. He said that the kinds of false teachers were teaching things like Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. He said in verse 16 of chapter 1, they profess to know God. But they deny him by their works. Listen to that. Think about that for a second. They confess to know God, but they deny him by their works. I mean, all throughout this book, Paul is going to talk about your doctrine and your life. And there's a lot of us that we confess to know God, but our works deny him. They confess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So this is the environment in which Paul sends young Titus into to have him preach the gospel. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says to Titus, But as for you, as opposed to all of these other teachers and what they're teaching and how they're living and the results of their false teaching, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Sound means healthy I like the way the easy-to-read version reads. It says, you, however, you, Titus, must tell everyone how to live in a way that agrees with the true teaching. Here's the truth, that the quality, the quality of a person's life reflects on the quality of their doctrine. The quality of a person's life reflects the quality of their doctrine. When you look at somebody's life and you say, well, what do they believe that has led them to live this way? And so Paul is going to talk to Titus and say, listen, you need to teach people to live in such a way that it reflects well on the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel should result in good living. And if you're not living a healthy life, a spiritually healthy life, then it reflects poorly on the gospel. The quality of a person's life reflects on the quality of their doctrine. Do we, do we stop and think about that? I mean, we, we listen to Hollywood's doctrine all the time. And I don't know about you, but I really like movies. It's all I could do sometimes not to use movie analogies all day long. You know, Star Wars this week. I want to, so anyway, I had to slip that in, but. Listen, I love, I love movies. I love it. I love the story and being inspired and encouraged and coming away saying that was so cool. I love movies. But if we're not careful, we'll accept the doctrine that is the underlying theme in what is coming out of Hollywood. And, and, and what we need to do is we, we need to look. What do family lives look like in Hollywood typically? 
Is that, is that the kind of life that we want? Are those the kinds of families that we want? Because the quality of a person's life reflects the quality of their doctrine. If their doctrine is, find your inner truth. Do what makes you happy as long as you're fulfilled. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Don't let anybody judge you or criticize you. Just do what you feel is right. Do what's right in your own eyes. Let's examine the quality of people's lives who accept that doctrine. Is that the kind of marital relationship that you really want? Is that the kind of relationship that you want with your parents or your children or your brothers or your sisters? Is that the kind of life that you want? It sounds great to be self-indulgent, but it's horrible to be married to someone who's self-indulgent. It sounds great to be self-indulgent, but it's horrible to have a parent or a child who's selfish and self-indulgent. Right? And we know that to be true, but it's so easy. It's so easy to allow these doctrines to become our doctrines, but the quality of a person's life reflects the quality of their doctrine. Look at verse 2. Now he gets into some specifics. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. And self-controlled is going to be a repeated phrase throughout here. Self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now you say, well, that sounds boring, (laughs) right? I mean, who wants to live a life like that? Sober-minded and dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. That that sounds so boring. I want to live a life like that. Yeah, but listen, men, because it's talking to older men. Every woman wants to be married to a man like that, right? She wants to be married to a man who is sober-minded, who thinks clearly about things and who takes serious things seriously. A man who is dignified and self-controlled and sound, healthy in their faith, in their love, and in their steadfastness. Every child wants a parent like that. Again, what happens when we accept the doctrines of the world? Our families fall apart. But the gospel teaches us to live these kinds of lives. Look at verse 3. Older women, likewise, so the same kinds of things are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. I've seen shirts that say, you know, like, uh, good women never make history or something like that, you know. People say that that's boring to live a life like that, reverent in behavior and not slanderers or slaves to much wine. But every man wants to be married to a woman like this. And every child wants a mother like this. Because it, it may sound fun, for a while, to be selfish and self-indulgent and to do, do whatever you think is right or feel what is right or follow your own truth or fulfill your own dreams and destiny and everything you see in the movies, that may sound fun for a while, but families cannot endure that doctrine. Families fall apart. Cultures fall apart. Lives fall apart when everybody is doing what is right In their own eyes. That's what the book of Judges is all about. If you want to see what a culture is like when everybody does what's right in their own eyes, read the book of Judges and say, do I want a family like that? Do I want a life like that? But this is what the gospel teaches us to do. Look at the rest of verse 3. They, that is the older women, are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Listen again, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
See, again, older women not only have the responsibility to be committed to this kind of a lifestyle, but also to teach it to younger women. And then verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then he says to Titus in verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And we're all doing that, aren't we? We're modeling something. And our modeling, our lifestyle is reflecting on our doctrine. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that can't be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us because your life reflects your doctrine. And then he says, even to bond servants, they're to be submissive to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing and not argumentative and not pilfering, but showing all good faith. That means not stealing, being trustworthy. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. See, the kind of life that accords with sound doctrine, the kind of life that goes along with the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life of self-control. To be the kind of people that are selfless and self-controlled and serve others. But if you're like me, you say, well, how? How do I live a life like that? How do I live a life like that? I try to be self-controlled. How do I live a life like that? How do I teach my children to live a life like that? How do we as the church teach the next generation to live a life like that? I'm glad you asked. The next verse tells us, verse 11, the grace of God, the grace of God, for the grace of God has appeared. It's been made known. The grace of God has been made known and it brings salvation to all people. It's just like what Matt said in his communion focus this morning. Gratitude. Gratitude. When we take the communion and we think about the cross and we think that our religion, what we know to be true, isn't that there's an angry God and we're trying to make him happy. It's that there's a God who loves us. And by his grace, he saved us through the blood of his own son. And this grace This saving grace that has appeared and brought salvation for all people, it trains us out of gratitude to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Because, listen to verse 13, because we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You say, Wesley, are you telling me I shouldn't seek my own happiness, that I should just be miserable the rest of my life? No. I'm telling you that if you forget about your own fulfillment and happiness and you pursue rather the glory of God, you will be happier than you can possibly imagine. You will be more fulfilled than you can possibly imagine. Amen? Amen? The grace of God has appeared. And the grace of God has given us something better to live for, something better to hope for, something more satisfying and more fulfilling than whatever piece of fruit you think you can grab off the tree. Because he said to you, I love you, and I've died for you, and I want you to be my saved people, and that changes how we live. Here's what I think Paul is saying to Titus. A life of self-control 
is a life lived in light of God's grace. That's how we live a life of self-control. And that's how we teach the next generation and train the next generation to be people that live upright and godly lives in this present age is by teaching them the grace of God. Not just teaching them a bunch of rules, not just do this and don't do that, and certainly not teaching them that by their own works they can save themselves, but teaching them that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that this grace of God trains us, trains us to live self-controlled lives. It trains us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God. A life of self-control is a life lived in light of God's grace. And church, we've got to be committed to living in light of God's grace. And parents, we've got to be committed to teaching our children God's grace. Older women, you've got to be committed to mentoring younger women in light of God's grace. Older men, you've got to be committed to mentoring younger men in light of God's grace, to live in light of God's grace. We've all got to be committed to teaching our young people to live in light of God's grace, to see it and to embrace it, and for that to be their doctrine. The grace of God is my doctrine. The grace of God is our doctrine. And a life lived in light of the grace of God is a life of self-control. Our life reflects on our doctrine. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't yet embraced the grace of God and become a child of God through putting their faith in Jesus, repenting of their sins, being buried with him in baptism. And if you haven't made that step, now's an opportunity. Maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. This is your chance. Come forward as we stand and sing.